0: Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Transformation has become an overused word and an underdeveloped concept at most financial institutions. Successfully embraced transformation can help a financial institution achieve its full potential, not just in digital banking, but overall. Transformation also is not a project or a destination, but a continuous process of adopting and adapting to volatile and uncertain environments to become more future-ready. I'm really excited to have Seth Goldstrom, Senior Partner at McKinsey Company on the Banking Transform podcast. Seth shares the keys to successful transformation and why most transformation efforts fail to deliver as expected. So, welcome to the show today, Seth. You know, McKinsey found that most transformations don't really deliver on their promises or their targets. In some cases, transformation is even being misdefined. At a time of economic uncertainty, is it it's really never been more important for banks and credit unions to transform their organizations for a more digital and more future-ready future. So, Seth, why is it so difficult? to execute against transformation initiatives? And how can organizations kind of flip the odds in the favor of their success?
1: Well, Jim, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, we've looked at this for a, for a long time and we run a, a survey each year for a little bit over the last decade, trying to track our, our companies being more successful in their transformations and what drives it. And what we've seen is if you look for at least public companies where they announce a transformation goal, um, only about thirty percent of companies actually deliver what they announced they were going to. Now that doesn't mean that you know the other seventy percent didn't get anything; they just didn't get what they said. Um, and you know, and a lot of times, what they say to the street is is isn't necessarily what they're trying to do internally because um, they don't want to miss those targets. And so, a lot of times, the the the, the external target is a little bit um, more watered down than maybe what they're hoping to you know in their stretch case. Uh, there are several reasons why we see that happen, um, and you had asked the question around how to flip the odds, and there are four or five kind of main things you know that I would say that you see um, as hallmarks when this works well. The first is companies that do this really well focus on you know what we call the full potential, right? And um, and it's and it's the realistically achievable you know full potential. So it's not pie in the sky numbers. And it's human nature to not want to overpromise and under deliver. And a lot of times the trap we see is that companies and, and, and people will negotiate down their goals and targets to what they feel comfortable doing. Um, and when you set it at the, the full potential, the number on average ends up being about two and a half times uh, what people thought was possible. So it's more than double. Um, and so, when you're going after a number that's more than double, the odds of getting to where you want it to be, uh, you know, go up massively. The second piece related to that is on timing. Um, a lot of times, it looks more like a hockey stick, right? It's two, three years out in terms of hoping to to get there. And, and and companies that do this really well make real progress after a quarter or two. You know, they they can get to about a third of it on a run rate basis. And, you know, and if you're getting a third of it after a quarter of two on a number that's twice as big, um, uh, that makes an enormous difference. So that's the first big thing that we'd say. Um, the second is around really having a knowledge process. Um, when I started at you know, McKinsey over 25 years ago, uh, we were taught uh, that you, know, you really couldn't have more than a handful of themes. And if you're trying to drive five things or more than five things, it was just too much. Um, and companies that have have really nailed this, have figured out how do you empower and get the entire organization rallied around this. Um, and it's often for you know a Fortune 500 company, it's thousands of things. And so how do you get thousands of, of smaller uh, or medium-sized projects done? And how do you build a knowledge process to enable you to uh, to execute that at, at scale um, and to flip that? So that's the second thing that we see. Uh, that really works. The third, particularly in things like digital, um, is 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 keeping an eye on the outcome versus the activities. You know, in 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 a classic manufacturing context, people will get caught up on lean or six sigma, which you know, which which you know, we're huge fans of. But sometimes it can be to what end, and so you can get caught up on doing a set of activities, and the 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 result or the outcome against those. Get lost, right? You know, it's almost the you know the the trap of a PMO, and you're focused on red, yellow, green, and you know to what end. Um, the fourth thing that I would say uh, is really around that what we often call the change story, right? So does the broader organization know why we're doing this in a way that's actually meaningful and exciting, right? Um, and then lastly, and and most importantly. Um, Companies that transform have an obsession with growth, right? You know, um, uh, you know, most people do not get excited about cost reduction. Uh, you know, most people really get excited about growth, and having an aspect uh, of this where you're spending at least as much time on growth as you are on efficiency um, is is a is a pretty big hallmark as well.
0: You know, it's interesting. You, you opened up so many doors that I hadn't even expected when we started this conversation, one of which is you talked about the planning efforts. And in every organization, especially in financial services, the planning efforts usually starts with last year's plan, and you work against that. You know, how in the world are we exposed, expected to have transformation when our starting point is the past? It, 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 and, and as you said... People lowball to a degree because they're going, <clears throat> well, they highball what they want budget-wise. They lowball what they say they're going to achieve. But if you really want to embrace transformation, and you, you said it really well, you have to really go towards growth. You also have to embrace change. And that, but in its own nature, is disruptive because we're, we all know what we're good at, and it's usually based on things we've done in the past. We, we in many organizations, especially financial services, They've had good financial success over the last more than decade, year to year. And so all the things you just mentioned about the keys to success are very evident. Everybody knows them, but it's really hard to implement it against it. I, mean, it, it. I I use the analogy of a doctor's office where the doctor tells you everything you need to do to become a better person. We all know that. It's nothing new. It's just a matter of whether or not we want to take that step. So, you know, Over the last couple of years, certainly a ton of things have changed, but the importance of transforming organizations has probably increased in tremendous magnitude because so much else has changed, so much around us has changed. So when you take this and you throw it into the state of disruption, what pre prerequisites for success have remained constant?
1: I think the biggest prerequisite for success that's that's remained constant is what you were getting at, Jim, around You've really got to want to do it, right? And, you know, at some level, yeah. you know, it takes three things for somebody to get massively better, right? One is they've got to, you know, the the person or the organization has to be very uncomfortable with how things are today, right? Um, you know, there's no sense of complacency um, and a real desire to be the best that they can be, right? You know, either individually or as, as a team or as, a, as an organization. Yep. Nope. The second thing is, there's got to be a view of where do I want to get to, right? What does great look like um, in terms of the strategy, in terms of performance, but what's that vision? Um, and then, third, there needs to be a concrete plan to get there, um, you know, in terms of from where we are today to where we want to be. Um, but it all comes back to if you're happy with what you're doing, um, and, you know, you're never going to get. You know, necessarily that much better in a transformational way, because you're, you know, because you've got to be, you've got to be uncomfortable. I don't think that's new, but that that for us is really, you know, really important.
0: You know, it's interesting because there's so many elements in the transformation, you know, umbrella, and we 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 use the word almost too much because everything's a transformation. But right now we're we're going into what looks like a a a economic downturn, or at least a, a a. Period of very deep uncertainty. You know, when we look at that, is there a potential or a, a a a challenge of maybe holding back to try to conserve capital as we enter a potential recession? And is that a problem?
1: Well, I think, Jim, I think it varies a lot by industry, right? You know, you know, uh, in terms of you know the degree of uh, headwinds or tailwinds, and so I think I do believe it's very industry specific. Um, in some respects, I think it makes transformation easier uh, in that, you know, it does drive a lot of that lack of, you know, lack of complacency and and discomfort. Um, yeah. I'm not seeing a big pullback on, you know, kind of investing into the future. I mean, there's obviously there's more uncertainty around business cases. Um, but, you know, when you look out over this and, and, and transformation is a multi-year effort, um, you know, in right. uh, um. You know, when you look through any kind of shape of a, of a recovery and what happens over a couple of years, it's hard not to, you know, why would you think about that, you know, necessarily differently? Um, part of it to me, when you look back over the last couple of years and you think of various organizations' response to COVID and uh, working from home and hybrid and having to change people's business models and all of those kinds of things, it's amazing how much everyone got done right? Like, you know, if you kind of, and, and you oh, yeah. it's hard to even get your head yeah. around uh, how much uh, companies really transformed in a very short period of time because they had to. And, you know, part of it is how do right. you kind of bottle that up, you know, for the next chapter, right? Where um, it's different. Because to me, that just shows that the potential is there, but you got to kind of want to do it. And you have to have that burning platform, um, you know, to kind of Push you to make really big changes. You know, it's interesting because, as with anything,
0: if you don't feel pain, it's less likely. It's less likely for anybody, organization, or person to go towards something good as opposed to avoiding something bad. And it takes a, a personality thing. So, what's interesting is, you know, when we look at transformation in the general sense, or in the even in the more specific sense, you mentioned that it was amazing during the pandemic. that was done and in the banking industry ppp loans you know who would have thought that you could get a government you know mandate on a thursday night or a friday morning and have it in place by monday when you didn't know what you were going to be giving and you you, it was a brand new product line and and oh by the way we threw in there that none of your employees can be able to meet face to face in a traditional sense yet it was achieved and i think we have to keep on going back to what was done to say you know, we would have never thought we could ever achieve what we did achieve under pressure. And the pressure's there now more than anything. And 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 the daily pressure, you know, just keeping up with what's going on is a difficult one. So in a recent interview, you discussed 10 reasons why transformations fail. Can you share some of the important reasons that you've seen in the banking industry or in, the, in any industry in general?
1: Yeah, well, there's a few. And some of this, uh, Jim, I touched on a little bit earlier. But, but this first piece um, I would really say is this orienting goals around uh, full potential as opposed to,, uh, you know, what do you need to solve next year's budget, right? Um, you know, and so it's an incremental view versus a where can we be in three years and then start to work backwards? That's a big piece of it. Um, the second is around uh, having a knowledge process to take things from ideas, all the way to it's showing up on the PL or the balance sheet. Um at scale, right? And you know, and a lot of times where we find this is people will, you know, if I'm if I'm doing procurement work uh and you negotiate a price for you know better pens, and then you then have more money in your budget, and you're like, oh, I, I'm gonna go buy some more pencils, you know, from a procurement perspective, you think you, you know, save money, but then the CFO or or the investor looks at it and says, Well, I don't see it you know, on the on the balance sheet. And part of that is what we call leakage, around how do you manage something all the way through uh, to make sure it actually shows up? And if you're going to go reinvest it, that that's a purposeful decision. Um, most companies don't do a very good job of that. Uh, and those that do, you, you really see it, right, in terms of the performance. Um, you know, the third thing that I would say is, uh, and we touched on it earlier, but the you know, the notion of the change story and being able as 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 the CEO or member of the top team to articulate why you're doing this in a way everyone gets excited. Um, most uh, employees have been through multiple rounds of transformations over their career. Um, I often will joke, it needs to feel more like a wedding than a funeral. And that, um, uh, hmm. uh, yeah, you know, when it gets announced, you know, after the first day or the first time you know you hear about it do you walk back uh, uh or do you call your friend and say this is, sounds really exciting right i, I am uh, I'm so glad we're finally doing this or is the reaction here they go again right and you know and it feels like here they go again um that doesn't that that just doesn't really work well um and so I think that the, the change story aspect really important um you know, the other thing that we're seeing a lot of, too, is this notion of kind of what I'd characterize as more thematic transformations, um, uh, where it's it's around a topic, agility, you know, uh, digital, advanced analytics, you know, manufacturing excellence. Um, and those are all great levers. Uh, a lot of companies struggle uh, with, they will pick a kind of a flavor of the month or a theme um, and then not have the foundation in place for everything else that's required to sustain a a transformation. Um, And they don't necessarily see the full benefit of that. Um, And so that would be another um, example. And Then the last thing is, you know, focusing too much on near-performance, near-term performance as opposed to, you know, how are we gonna be a more vibrant and exciting company five years from now, you know, than we are today, which which ultimately comes back to growth. So that's interesting because,
0: we're still, as a, as a marketplace, reward what's happened today. And you see an interesting dynamic in the banking industry. I, I referenced Jamie Dimon's recent announcement that he was going to double down on investment in R&D, which still wasn't anywhere near what many institutions are doing as a percentage. But he got lambasted. He, he, he got criticized by shareholders and by some analysts saying, you know, why are you taking, you know, revenues and, and capital? and investing so much in R&D. And it, it's the vision, the long-term vision. He goes, I, I want to be existence if we don't do this now. And that's a real difficult position to take, not just from an organizational standpoint, but from a marketplace standpoint, unless people see and feel that there's, there's things on the horizon that may disrupt the industry or any industry even more. And, it, you know, it's interesting, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, one of the major things you're saying that, needs to be done is actually I'll call it, the democratization of the transformation process. In other words, don't make it a department or don't make it a, a set of few individuals looking at the numbers, but really share it with the rest of the organization so that they can embrace that and feel that they're part of it as opposed to being on the outside looking in and being, in some cases, fearful of their jobs.
1: Is that correct? Absolutely. And And there's a lot in there, Jim. But when we talk about democratizing change, it's really important that people feel like they're part of this and doing it, as opposed to having something done to them. Uh, and that's just yep. that's just human nature. Practically, you know, uh, when you look at um, transformations for large companies, it's thousands of initiatives, at least hundreds of initiatives. And our research suggests that any individual owner of an initiative can do one or two, right? Um, and so, if you have three thousand initiatives you know, you're gonna need thousands of people kind of working on this. Um, and everyone's kind of playing their part and working on one specific thing. And then when you add that all up, it's amazing, right? And, um, uh, and that's what we get at in terms of when we talk about democratizing change. Um, and some of this also gets into the enablers, right? So how do you uh, recognize um, and, uh, you know, reward, uh, you know, people for doing things that are kind of above and beyond. Um, and, uh, and it's not all financial, right? You know, some of the best examples that I've seen of that is, uh, I had, I had, a um, you know, you know, I, I had a, a, a situation recently where I saw where, um, uh, the CEO reached out, uh, to somebody's father and sent them a note with, um, uh, um, some swag uh, from the company um, and basically saying, you know, thank you for what your your uh, son or daughter did. Um, it was amazing. And I know you, you know, must be proud and had a hand in that. Um, you know, that, that person, right, is going to remember that forever. And, you know, that's what we see, you know, the best leaders do in terms of democratizing change, uh, in terms of getting that level of the uh, you know, the employee base um, excited about what they're trying to accomplish.
0: So you not only are the leader at McKinsey on the whole issue of transformation, but you also obviously are part of the team that go out and try to meet with organizations and, and help them embrace what, you, what we're trying to talk about here. But at many organizations, you know, they've enjoyed decades in some cases of financial success. When you meet with these organizations, how do you convince them to transform areas of their organization that don't necessarily look broke, but are certainly not optimized?
1: Well, I think that's hard. <laughs> is, the, is the is the is the short answer? I mean, I, yeah. that's why I asked the question. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you have, yeah. we have we have a lot of clients, right, where they recognize that and and they're looking for help on how to get it um, to where they'd want to be faster, right and Uh, and they're trying to bring to bear, um, you know, some of our capabilities, whether it's functionally or on specific industry topics to help them kind of reach their full potential, like a coach, right? Like in a, in the sporting context or a trainer. Um, and so a lot of situations it's in, in that context, you know, we obviously also are having conversations where we're pushing people and, and, um, on, on, you know, how much better you can be or trying to create. Um, some desire for change. I think there's a couple ways we often would try to do that. You know, one is um, uh, just showing the nature of the opportunity and why we think it's there. Um, and sometimes clients will get really excited when they see, you know, something that they hadn't necessarily thought of before. Um, and then they'll, you know, they'll be motivated obviously to go capture that value. Sometimes it's a different view of what's going on in the, in the you know the strategic landscape or competition, and here are some of the trends we're seeing, and how the trends might you know impact your business is a second way that we'll often um, uh, right. uh, do that. And then third, you know, sometimes we'll we'll, um, we'll 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 push on. Look, if we were to, you know, we often will approach this with the mindset of if we were to buy the company, right? You know, you know, if we were to come in and buy it, here's what we would do, and here's what we think the potential is. Or if we no. were looking at this like we were an activist, what well, what would we say? And we obviously don't know anything because we're coming in, you know, from the outside. But you obviously have that also uh, externally with with um, your potential investors or activists, et cetera. And um, these are the questions we would be asking. And would not you rather get ahead of that um, uh, on your own? And sometimes we'll look at it uh, through that lens. And sometimes clients ask us to do that because they want to be challenged, right? Because they always want to. Um, be better, right? Um, um, so I would say some, those are some of the you know the ways we we see helping kind of build a, a sense of uh, you know of of, uh, uh, of a desire to to do something different.
0: You know, since I was just at a, a banking conference, and you know, I'm I'm among all these solution providers, hundreds of solution providers, all trying to sell somewhat similar solutions to the same market, and you know, they're saying, geez, it's just so hard to get the needle moved. And I said, well, there's a couple things here. Number one, you know, many firms engage me as they engage you to sometimes say, I'm going to make you sick so that you can get well. In other words, I need to show you what you're missing about what's what could be the future. And you just mentioned it. You know, you talk about if I can't give them the pain, then I'll give them what could have been pleasure that they're missing. Um The other component of this is you know the decision early in the discussion to say are these people even willing to embrace what we're talking about and and i'm sure you've had many instances where you could spend five minutes with an organization and know it doesn't matter what we did here we aren't going to be able to move the needle because they're just not ready yet and and you know as solution providers in the industry i say you know you're spending so much money on what you think is going to be the big sale. And you may be hearing things on the mid-level that say all the right things. But the problem is, and you said it at least three times so far, if you don't have the desire, I, I'm going to have a real hard time pushing that rock uphill. And you know, it's interesting. You know, When we look at transformation, how important today, probably even more than even two years ago, is both speed and scale of transformation. And scale not being just big transformations,
1: but maybe incremental transformations. I'll come back to that, Jim, in a second. But let me just touch on something you just said, which is, I think some people are motivated by fear, right? And some people are motivated by opportunity. And I think how you approach that as an advisor is very different, right? And, um, um, and, And sometimes people kind of tease it too much on fear versus opportunity and and we get stuck. The other reason too, which we often don't ask is why, right? Like, you know, help me understand this, right? I see the opportunity this way, you know, wh- wh- what are you seeing that makes you, you seem less excited about this? W- why is it, you don't believe me, <laughs> right? You don't believe that's the opportunity. Right. right. Um, you think you're working on something else that's more important um, uh, and, I think often which, which may all, may be, all valid, be valid. But, but a lot of times bad. people don't yeah. get to that level to really end up in a discussion around, you yeah. know, how do you compare, you know, that across, you know, different opportunities that they're that they're pursuing. Um, back to your question on on speed and 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 scale. Um, they're both very important. <laughs> right. I would say. I mean, the thing that I think gets lost a lot of times in transformation is much more on speed. Then, in terms of then in terms of scale, and what I mean by that is, it's just as important how fast you can get to the opportunity as how big that opportunity is a couple of years from now. Um, yeah. And you know yep. what we often see, and I, I often call it a third, a third, a third. But we usually see you can get after, and obviously it's company specific. But in in on average, you know, after a quarter or two, if you're running really hard you can get to about a third of the opportunity on a run rate basis. Um, About a year, you know, another year after that, maybe the next third, and then another year after that, the last third. And obviously things that are capital dependent or very uh, IT dependent are on the back half. Um, uh, Nothing begets success like success, and people enjoy winning. And so there's a real excitement if you're able to put uh, results on the board, which don't need to just be financial, but people feel like it's moving. Um, and then people that may have been skeptical coming out of that that first meeting say, huh, they were serious. They really did do this. And we're starting to see this show up. And then people will start to kind of give more of the benefit of the doubt and get more engaged. Um, and so I think, you know, that's really the, you know, to me, the importance of, of speed. We'll often call it a, um, you know, the reverse hockey stick. Right, how can we kind of front load this? Yeah. Um, And when you do, and you actually get to a a third of the value in that first, call it six months, the odds of success go up massively. Um, um, In terms of the scale part, there needs to be enough of a scope, right, Uh, uh, that you actually can go transform the business. So if there's a whole bunch of things, you can touch this, but you can't touch that, and uh, don't talk to that person, you know, they're busy on something else, Um, then it doesn't feel as much like a transformation Um, uh, because you've got to have all the levers in place to get to where you, you know, where you want to be from a strategy perspective.
0: You know, it's interesting. I just we just completed an interview with a gentleman by the name of Henry Ma from WeBank, which is the biggest digital bank in the world located in China. They serve 300 million customers with 3,000 employees, of which two-thirds are are engineers and and, uh, R&D people. But what was interesting is one of the things they take away is that they take great pride in the fact that they can go from ideation to implementation of something in the marketplace, something new, in less than 10 days. So their whole mentality is fast and incremental. But making it so it's tested out, and overall, it builds the scale. So it's different ways of looking, but it's the way a tech company looks at it as opposed to a uh, a fiscal structured company that has has a big legacy. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic, and it yeah you know it's it's interesting because when I bring up the question about speed and scale, people go apple pie and and you know cherry pie. Gosh, they're both great. You know, I, I want both, but I think the importance has become important because. You know and you've mentioned in a lot of your writings that our destination keeps on moving it, it, transformation never ends and you, you don't have a destination point it's really an evolutionary process but the fact that the marketplace is changing so quickly that that you really have to do a lot to stay in place and it, it really goes it goes a long way to say you know I, I can't sit still as you said from the beginning so let's take a short break here and recognize the sponsors of this podcast Welcome back to Banking Transform. So I'm joined today by Seth Goldstrom, senior partner at McKinsey. We have been discussing the challenges and opportunities of transformation and the actions that must be done now to succeed. So Seth, with everything that's happened in the past couple of years, we can't ignore the fact that changes have occurred in the workplace from the standpoint of hybrid work environments and different ways of engaging with others. And it's become more the norm. How does this change in the workplace impact transformation?
1: I don't think it's been a... um, I don't think it has a huge impact, um, which may be, you know, a little bit counterintuitive. I mean, a a lot of clients, and I know this is a podcast for banks, are already working in a world where they're very distributed, right? Branches, a distributed leadership model. And so, um, at least for me, most of my clients are all over the world, you know, they're working in organizations that are global, uh, uh, and are and are in, in multiple different places, right? And so, um, uh, and so they've had to figure out how to go do that. Now, obviously, the scale of that has has kind of massively changed. Um, but you know, one of the things that we've seen is technology and tools have made it a big difference in the context of of, of transformation. Um, you know, we at, at McKinsey use a tool that we call Wave. Um, which is basically a web-based idea tracking software. Um, and it takes things all the way from an initial idea to following it through to an outcome. Then you have a set of reports and dashboards that kind of that allow you to look at it and say, what was supposed to happen this week? Did it happen or not happen? And you can kind of deal with the exceptions and, and lean in and check in and, and really ask the question, how do I help? Um, and so I think we've really seen a proliferation of tools like that, and 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 approaches, and running you know kind of status meetings in a virtual world versus you know around a conference room table where people are dialing in you know from all over the world. Um, you know I don't feel like we've really missed a beat on that on that aspect. Um, now, with that said, um, it does make some of the things that have always been hallmarks of successful transformations even more important. Um, And the biggest of that is around, uh, you know, generating alignment, right? You know, why are we doing this? Uh, Capturing kind of the hearts and minds of, you know, why this is important and exciting. I I do think it's a little bit harder to do when you're not necessarily face-to-face. And so spending more time on the why, uh, you know, why we're changing and why we're doing this and what the purpose is um, becomes much more important.
0: You know, it's interesting, you know, as I visualize transformation, it's hard not to see this all as big stuff for lack of a better technical term. But we also are seeing that incremental transformation. We we talked a little bit before the break about WeBank and how they go from ideation to implementation in 10 days. But when you're looking at transformation, how important is that ongoing incremental change? Because as most industries have been built around annual calendars, We sometimes take this broad perspective and we try to maybe move too much at the same time or take a lot of incremental things, but make it one big release. How much have you seen organizations really embrace what I'm going to call incremental transformation or the the continuous small wins that keep the
1: the ball rolling? Uh, You know, the companies that do this well don't just view this as a one static two-year thing and then we finish and then we're done, right? Um, you know, we you know we have a, a kind of at McKinsey we use a three step process which starts with what we call a diligence and really sizing full potential. Then second, you know, we do something we call bottom up planning, which is all around uh, creating kind of detailed plans and how we're going to go get this done. Um, and then third, kind of tracking through implementation, and that is often a you know a, a eighteen to uh, eighteen to month to um, two and a half year process. Um, we have a lot of clients that, on the back end of that, when they finish, will say, "Okay, we're going to go do it again. we're going to start again and relook at you know what our full potential is and do the diligence over again." Um, and then other clients will look at it and say, "Okay, we're going to move much more into a continuous improvement you know mindset, right? Where we're kind of leveraging the same knowledge process around how we get things done, um, but without necessarily um, uh, you know kind of restarting kind of the formal." Process again. I personally like, you know, running, uh, you know, the you know, the, the process again. But it's it's very industry specific. Um, if you're in an industry that's kind of mass, you know, that's undergoing massive change, um, and it's it's much more dynamic, you might have to do more what you were describing, Jim. Whereas if you're something that's a little bit more stable uh, and capital intensive, um, you know, having a you know having kind of that two year mindset because it's very capital. Uh, big projects, um, you know, works better.
0: And when you look in the marketplace with all the different clients you meet with, what is normally the biggest challenge they have in the transformation process?
1: I think the biggest challenge is is sticking to the process. Um, you know, the analogy I would I would give is if if we're trying to get yeah. fit, right? Yeah, we know, right? You know, if you eat less and exercise more, you're going to lose weight, right? Um, and you could do it for a short period of time and then you kind of go back to how you, you know, to, to where you were, right. Cause you don't, you don't want to do it, um, uh, um, necessarily. And so the, the biggest thing that we find is, 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 is making sure people really stick to it. Um, and, uh, and showing the, 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 you know, the, the tie from if we do this, we know this is going to go happen. Um. That, that that's the biggest thing that i think we uh that we 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 struggle with and and doing it for a long period of time companies that stick to the the knowledge process you almost can guarantee the result just like you can on the you know the diet and the and 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 the exercise it's just hard to enable that to, yeah. to obviously happen
0: you know we we i often call it the challenger mindset if you if you continue to look and saying you know you have to continuously evolve and we in a break we talked about an organization that you know, felt like they were being disrupted by people that they would put themselves in the same category as. And they're going, you know, we I wouldn't say they rested on their laurels. There's been a lot of things that have been good with that organization. But but really what's challenging, and as you mentioned, is to continue to have that focus and make it part of your mentality and not get worn out by it, which is kind of interesting. You know, you work with all different kinds of organizations, but you also see a lot of organizations out in the marketplace. Is there any one or two organizations... You think, and they don't have to be McKenzie clients, but you can go that direction if you want, that kind of get it. That really, really have made this part of their culture, part of their overall mantra, and have really seen the results to show for it.
1: There are. And you know, Jim, we don't talk about clients by name just from a confidentiality perspective. But there there are. And you know, and they've really embraced this, right? And kind of made it as opposed to a project name. They've made it kind of just the way that they, you know, do business. Um, you know, one of the things that you know you'll often see is companies will kind of call this project X or Transformation Y. And you know, we really resist that because we don't, you know, then it starts to feel more flash in the pan as opposed to this is how we're going to just run the place every day. And this is just the way we do business. And it becomes part of the the purpose and the and the values of the company. Um and when they do this, there's no and versus or, right? A lot of, In a manufacturing context, you'd say, well, you know, how do we be more efficient, have better quality and keep everybody safe, right? And be good environmental stewards. And our our clients are even, you know, not our clients, right? That, that do this well, it's always and, right? There's never a, an or excuse. They're better at everything, right? You know, they're better, uh, um, uh, you know, from a growth perspective, they're better in terms of being inclusive, uh, you know, for their employees, um, you know, they're, they're very efficient and, um, and, and, and they take safety extraordinarily seriously as an example.
0: So finally, last question is that we have organizations that listen to the podcast that are different stages of transformation, everybody's somewhere in the process. But if you're going to have one major suggestion and say, gosh, make sure you get this right or, you know, this is what I do today, to make the biggest you know, quick impact that will impact more going forward. And, and we've discussed many of them and it may be repeated something you've already said. What would you say is that one thing?
1: The first thing that I would do is I would start off and almost take a, a small group of, of your organization, a handful of people and say, you know, what would you do if you were buying us, right? I want you to take six weeks and kind of think of it as a red team and a blue team and if you were buying, you know, if you were doing a management buyout and, and what do you think the full potential is and what would you do, right? And we want you to look at everything, right? From a, yeah. an efficiency perspective, you know, digital investments, growth, uh, m and et cetera, you know, what would you do? And, um, you know, we don't want you to have to get buy-in from anybody. We don't want you to, you know, just because this is your right. decision, the five of you are the new management team. You know, what would you what would you do and what would that look like, and then let's you know then you know then let's talk about it um, around how do we kind of get there that that's the first thing that I would do. You know it's
0: interesting, I, I've never heard it said that way, but really what it does that process takes the excuses out of the mix. So we all have the reasons for not moving forward: budget, people, timing, uh, scale, whatever it may be. But your idea of saying what would you do if you were to buy this company. It's interesting because you're taking the excuses away. Therefore you're saying, here's what I would do. And then it may put you in a better frame of mind to get rid of those excuses that you look at it going forward. Seth, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate the insights. You know, it, it's, um, I've read a lot of your items, seen some of your podcasts. How does somebody get a hold of you or see what your thought process has been at McKinsey? Well, the probably best way is just to email me.
1: <laughs> you know, just Seth, S-E-T-H underscore Goldstrom uh, at McKinsey.com. Uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and we're always happy to uh, to chat. And Jim, thanks to you and the team for having us today. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks a
0: lot. Thank you for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please be sure to take some time to give our show a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research you're doing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to my producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Roe Hoffman, and video producer, Will Price. I'm your host, Jim Bruce. Until next time, remember, transformation is a process, not a destination. Begin today to embrace change, take risks, and disrupt yourself and your organization.
1: You've got questions, we've got answers.